What's up, everyone? This is episode number 69 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise at all that there's been a lot going on in this great hobby over the last week. The NBA keeps inching closer to the second stage of its season. I know a lot of people, including myself, are interested to see how that's going to play out. We've already seen some players that are going to miss it for a variety of reasons, including Trevor Ariza and Avery Bradley. We've got several players that tested positive for coronavirus, like Jokic and Malcolm Brogdon and a couple of Suns players. The plan is for all of those players to quarantine and still be ready come the end of July, but we'll see. You know, we really don't know what's going to happen. Speaking of Suns players, Gary V posted a picture of a big old stack of Devin Booker Prism rookies not long ago, and everyone is losing their mind about that. So if you've seen for some reason, if you didn't know why, the, the prices of Devin Booker stuff um, is out of control, right? Well, it's because of this Gary V post. So um, I've talked a lot about charts and graphs before and how they need context, right? Whenever we're, we're looking at prices and we can see this information, okay, something has surged. Well, we need to know why, right? That's, that's what we need to get to the bottom of. That's another example of a card that experienced growth for non-basketball reasons. Um, and I mentioned all those charts and tools and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think we're starting to get more context with some of these accounts. Uh, I know a lot more of these accounts are popping up. So, you know, I think things are changing a little bit and changing for the better. So, um, you know, just something to keep in mind there. We saw another example of that this week. Well, speaking of which, we had people announcing new tools or innovations to existing tools. Uh, or in one case, I, there was a completely new tool that was released this week for tracking card markets, among other things. I know a lot of you guys are excited about those. Um, so, you know, those are out there. You probably heard about those. Um, we're still kind of waiting to see what changes are made and who likes what. So remember, collect what you like, collect how you like, right? These are tools and there are tools out there that might help you collect how you like to collect. Uh, and then finally, there was something that happened this week that received a little bit of attention online, but perhaps not as much as it should have. And that's what I want to focus on today. So let's just jump right in. This past weekend, listener and Instagram user Aussie.Luca77, he reached out to me and he said, there's some big news brewing that you could discuss on your next podcast. Now, there is so much going on in this hobby uh, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. So then he mentioned that it was about PSA. I assumed that he meant the recent price increases, but it was so much more. So we had a pretty good chat and he shared a few links with me. So thank you, Aussie.Luca77. He later posted about this on the blowout forums as well. I haven't seen it talked um, a lot about on social media or a hobby social media. I know there was a Bloomberg article about it and Darren Ravel retweeted it. But other than that, I haven't seen much. So what was this news? Well, there is a Texas-based investment advisor. You could say, you know, as part of a hedge fund, there are all sorts of terms that we could use for this, but they go by the name Alta Fox Capital. 
and they've invested in PSA's parent company, Collector's Universe. In fact, when I say they've invested, they own 5.4% of all outstanding shares. Now, when you hear the the number 5.4%, it might not sound like that big of a deal at first, but it still makes them a top five shareholder in the company. And then according to them, they're the largest fundamental holder. And when I say fundamental, that means that they're, they're um, not passive. So I'm going to pull some info real quick from a site called money-zine.com um, because it, this kind of puts it into perspective for us non-finance or non-fund um, people. Right. Um, so they say a 5% stake in any large company is significant and large companies typically don't have such shareholders. That being said, there are 5% ownership positions held by individuals and institutions. At one time, Bill Gates owned about 5% of the outstanding shares of Microsoft. And then the investment firm of Berkshire Hathaway owns about 8% of Coca-Cola's outstanding shares. So I, I pulled that from that resource just to say and just kind of to show you guys, 5% might be a little bit bigger of a deal than some people think. Okay, so anyway, this Alta Fox fund, um, they own 5.4% of Collector's Universe. They made this investment, but they are not happy with the operational practice of this company at all. Uh, and by the way, from here on out, I'm going to use the titles Collector's Universe, CLCT, and PSA interchangeably because I'll be quoting from different sources that gives them different names along the way. Um, and I know that technically Collector's Universe is the parent company of PSA. And I know that they also do a lot of business with coins. I understand that's part of the business. I don't want to neglect that at all. At the same time, I don't deal with coins, so I'm not going to weigh in on that. Okay, so I'm looking mainly at the card side, which really a lot of this um, document that I'm going to talk about today was about that. So um, some of you might be thinking, well, we already knew PSA's current business model. Um, there haven't been a lot of major changes, so why would someone invest in them? The answer to that is that this is kind of what fund manager Connor Haley and his group Alta Fox does. I'm going to read this next piece from their own website so we can get an accurate picture of how they perceive themselves. Uh, but they say, we scour the world for the highest quality businesses at the lowest possible prices regardless of size. This often leads us to unusual corners of the market that the majority of institutional investors cannot or do not consider. It is our belief that these undiscovered gems can produce attractive and often uncorrelated results relative to the broader market. So, in order to obtain these uncorrelated results, as they put it, Alta Fox believes there needs to be some major changes. And Connor Haley outlined the entire situation in an open letter to shareholders this week. Well, I'm going to talk through that document today. As always, I encourage you, take a look at the source materials on your own. You can find this letter at altafoxcapital.com. They have a link at the top of the page that says CLCT. You go to that page and then right there, there's a click that you click the link and there's a PDF as well. So after I take you guys through this open letter, I'm also going to share some potential outcomes that I've seen thrown around this week. I think this could be a pretty big story for the hobby that up to this point has kind of gone under the radar. Okay, so as for the letter itself, it was posted on June 18th and Mr. Haley starts off by talking about how Alta Fox owns 5% of the 
uh, 5.4%, I'm sorry, of the outstanding shares. And I talked about that a little already, but this is followed immediately by a couple of pretty bold statements. The first of which says this, we believe shares in CLCT are materially undervalued due to inadequate shareholder engagement, poor capital allocation, and a lack of digital innovation. So they're telling shareholders here that shareholders are not engaged, and then they're calling for digital innovation. Now, people have been talking about using computers to help with the grading process in some capacity for a while now. Adam and I talked about that a little way back in episode 21. This was around the time that our good friend Joe Orlando penned an article for the PSA website where he said the following, Grading is not conducted in a science lab. It is simply humans looking at collectibles. And then Joe immediately followed that statement up with, The train left the station a long time ago. You can choose to get on board and take the ride, which can occasionally get bumpy along the way, or get left behind with delusions that somehow returning to the Wild West of the 1980s is better than what collectors have today. And when you hear statements like that, it's a little confusing. On the one hand, Joe is essentially saying that grading is innovative compared to the Wild West of the 1980s. But on the other hand, he doesn't seem very receptive to innovating that same process that was developed and popularized in the 1990s and 2000s. Yes, I know there have been some changes along the way and there have been um, the app scanning in the registry. There are a few digital changes, but for the most part, it was the bare minimum. So now that Connor has called attention to those two things, once again, the shareholders are not engaged and we need digital innovation. He fires his third major shot where he says, It is our belief that much of CLCT's shortcomings are primarily attributable to the complacency that exists on the board. So this thing starts off with a bang. You know, your shareholders are inactive, the company refuses to get with the times, and the board itself is complacent. All right, so in order to drive operational efficiency, um, in order to drive profitable digital innovation, um, in order to drive shareholder engagement, Alta Fox is nominating candidates to serve on the board because after all, that is within their rights as shareholders. But in this letter, they explain that this more aggressive approach wasn't the original plan when purchasing shares. It's just that things were in such a mess when they got there that they realized that changes had to take place. And Haley writes, We have since shared some of our suggestions for increasing shareholder value with the leadership of CLCT. While we have had amicable discussions with Chief Executive Officer Joseph J. Orlando, we felt that the rest of the board was largely uninterested in listening to our suggestions and informed us that CLCT would no longer communicate with Alta Fox going forward. We were disappointed by such a dismissive response to a large shareholder, which heightened our concern that the board is not acting in the best interest of the shareholders. As a result, Alta Fox has been forced to escalate the matter to ensure proper governance and a maximized value for all shareholders. Then Haley later sums that section up by stating, in our opinion, CLCT's lack of innovation and margin improvement is primarily attributable to a complacent and disengaged board that has not demonstrated or executed on a thoughtful capital allocation plan. 
And then there's an entire section where they give stats about the um, current board of PSA. And this is excluding Joe Orlando. So this is just the four other people. So they said, uh, they made a couple of good points here. They said that the average tenure of the CLCT board is over 13 years. So they've been there a while. They said that the average age is over 73 years old. They said that these people sit on an average of three other boards in addition to CLCT. And then things get really interesting because they say there have been zero insider open market purchases in the last five years, but considerable open market sales. And in order to explain this point, I'm going to pull a quote from a website called speedtrader.com. They said, when insiders buy more shares of their company's stock, it can be seen as a good show of faith in the company. When insiders sell, it may be viewed as a lack of faith in the company. So once again, there have been zero open market purchases from board members in the last five years. That's pretty telling. So if they're not trying to up their ownership in the company, what do they want? What are they getting out of this? And this leads us to Haley's next point about the board. He says that their board member compensation is primarily cash driven. Well, why is that important? Why is that a big deal? It seems like these guys are choosing cash compensation over equity compensation. And equity compensation more or less represents ownership in a firm. And ownership changes the way you think about something. And you can try to apply this to your own life. I'm sure there are analogies that work. I'm going to use one here. This isn't a perfect analogy, but I'm going to try and simplify it like this. Imagine you work for a company and you're on site and you see a piece of trash on the ground. Now, you have a decision to make. Imagine then that you own part of the company and you see that same piece of trash on the ground. Now, it's likely that both people could pick the trash up. It's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But if I had to pick one person to do it, or let's start off with you. If you had to pick one person to do it, who are you picking? I'm picking the owner 100% of the time because people that own something and are invested in something generally think different about it, right? They see it from a different perspective. And that segues us into our next point. The board's individual and collective CLCT equity ownership is minuscule. In other words, the four board members other than Joe Orlando aren't taking ownership of this thing both literally and figuratively, and that's a major problem. Haley then closes out his section with a final statement that says, the current board has not shown a willingness to engage with investors. CLCT has no sell-side coverage, no investor presentations, no dedicated IR contact, um, does not give formal guidance or have a clear long-term plan and does not even attend major small cap investor conferences as close as 30 minutes from its headquarters. And then in nice, big, bold letters, he writes, Alta Fox plans to rectify CLCT's history of shareholder ambivalence and lack of transparency. So, you know, that sounds great. Well, as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, okay, that's nice. But the next logical question would be how? How are you going to do that? Well, Haley and his group have outlined three strategic paths for the future of PSA. So here's three options. You've got path one, which he notes is their preferred path, is for a new and rejuvenated board 
to work alongside the current management team. And later on in the letter, he actually nominates six people that he thinks would make good board members. You guys can read through the profiles on your own. There is one name in there that a lot of you might recognize, and that's collector Nat Turner. He's been on Cardboard Chronicles a couple of times. Uh, He owns the famous Jordan PMG Green. There are several other high-profile cards he's purchased lately. Um, And he's done an awesome job of being an advocate for this hobby. Now, I haven't seen Nat comment on this publicly yet, but Darren Ravel published a tweet that said, I hope they give uh, Nat Turner a seat, a chance to give the company's most valuable customer a say. And then Nat retweeted that, which most people would interpret as an endorsement. So it looks like he could be a willing participant if called on. Okay, so that was path one. That's the one they want. Well, then there's path two. Path two is to slash public company costs and go private. And then Haley speculates that doing so over the last year would have increased their net income by over 20%. The third and final path then is the status quo, which is what they've chosen for the time being. And Haley paints a picture of the current landscape for shareholders, which, let's face it, I've talked about this with the quarterly calls before. There are plenty of PSA investors and shareholders out there that are not hobby savvy at all. So... When they see the slight increases and they see the numbers and they see the backlogs and they see the sales figures and Joe shares all of that with them, they get the impression that everything's fine. Uh, but Haley paints a little bit different of a picture. He said, This involves a disengaged board failing to adequately address significant customer backlogs for graded items, doing the bare minimum for investor relations, failing to show operating margin improvement, and essentially milking the business for cash flows with an inefficient balance sheet and bloated cost structure. He continues, This lackluster strategy is how the current board has taken a dominant asset for a decade and managed it to mediocre returns. Shareholders and customers deserve better. Now after that, there are a few more sections to the letter that I'm not going to go into with much detail Uh, One of them argues that customers and shareholders are paying the price for the company's failure to innovate. Uh, In that same section, Haley notes, improving grading turnaround times and delivering new and innovative services for customers is a top priority that Alta Fox and our slate of highly qualified director nominees. Haley talks about how they want to increase the intrinsic value of a company to $100 a share. Haley says... AltaFox has every intention and desire to work with management to improve CLCT. So in other words, um, despite I've seen some people say this looks like a takeover, this is not supposed to be any sort of takeover, at least according to him. And he says that CLCT has a, a more than capable leader in Joe Orlando. I have no comment about that statement. Um, Haley continues, our plan would prioritize recruiting the right digital talent to support Orlando in these initiatives and would ensure investments are made in a customer and shareholder friendly manner. Then the letter concludes by noting, we will be releasing more details over the coming months, including our full operating plan, which has been thoroughly vetted by customers and industry experts. If you would like to receive updates as we release more details of our vision for Collectors Universe, please register your email at www.altafoxcapital.com CLCT. And then you can also receive Twitter updates by following at AltafoxCapital. 
Finally, if you're a customer, shareholder, or other industry participant that is interested in a new vision for CLCT, please contact us at fixclct at altafoxcapital.com. Okay, so they want to fix Collector's Universe. And I'll try to get those up on my social media this week for anyone that's interested. I emailed Connor myself five or six days ago and haven't heard back. I was really curious to know what he knew about the ongoing FBI investigation with PWCC and then PSA as a result of that. Um, I wanted to know if he had any plan for dealing with altered cards. I figure he has a lot going on right now, so I didn't expect an immediate reply. That's fine. But just know that I have asked those things and I am trying to figure that information out. Uh, Listen, I know some of you have tried to reach out to PSA in the past with little to no success. Um, Well, this isn't PSA itself, but it is a group that could help implement some of the changes and reform that a lot of people have been asking for. So that concludes the actual letter itself. But before I uh, close this out today, I want to read some of the reactions that I saw this week to see what people think of this. We all know that uh, change for change's sake is not always good. Do people think that this sort of change helps move things in the right direction. Well, one thing I noticed is that um, there was a bit of skepticism about the motives involved. I saw one collector that said, this is bad news. These activist Wall Street types aren't interested in the long-term health of the company or especially the hobby, but they just want a way to extract value ASAP. I hope PSA management can fight them off. And then um, someone else uh, thinking kind of in a similar way added on to that, These types don't care about the hobby or the services PSA provides. They look for companies with name recognition and a market they can extract the maximum amount of money out of, even if that means bleeding an organization dry to do it. Now, I would counter that, though, by saying I think the fact that they recommended a big-time collector like Nat Turner to the board would help to counter that some at least. I mean, he has credibility in the business world, in the health sector, Um, and then also obviously in the hobby. So I I think that might counter that a little bit. Now, a lot of the other reactions I saw seemed at the very least intrigued. A good portion of the feedback centered on this concept of digital grading. And most people that chimed in seemed to be in favor of digital grading. Um, One collector, though, he called it a pipe dream. And I can see why somebody might say that. Um, You know, one thing that comes to my mind is that there are sets out there that were miscut from the factory, both vintage and modern. So I'll give you two examples, 1961 Fleer and 2009 Exquisite. Um, These sets were 48 years apart. So in 1961, Fleer was struggling with the basic elements of production. So that's why all their stuff is cut in different ways, right? Well, in 2009, Upper Deck was rushing to get the product out before their license ended. They had the technology to make it right. Maybe they didn't have the time. Now, while the reasons are vastly different, they both have sizing issues, though. That's the point. And if we go to digital grading, someone much smarter than myself is going to have to figure out how to account for all of that in digital grading. And I think there's going to be a human component to grading for a long time, but there might be some digital elements, though, that could at least speed up the process. Maybe, you know, centering, maybe they could, or identifying cards. You know, that might speed it up a little bit for us. Another collector alluded to the idea that digital grading might not be that profitable for PSA. 
Now, some people are listening to this and they're thinking, wait a second, you know, wouldn't efficiency be a great thing if they could come up with a cost-efficient way to be more efficient, right? Um, but here's what they said. They said digital grading removes much of the subjectivity factor and renders a big portion of their profit model useless. The entire premise of grading is a loosely based lottery system where you hope the card you send in will fare well with a particular grader on a particular day. Under and overgraded cards play into the psychological aspect of the submitter. It's not science. You can submit the same card 10 different times and will receive numerous different outcomes. Um, you know, and someone else chimed in after that. They said that if computer grading was in fact implemented and so efficient, it could cause a lot of cards graded by humans to crash. Because maybe we would realize, you know, we would start looking at the card. Hey, that 10 actually is not a 10, even though someone in the past declared it to be a 10. Now, um, the Instagram user that I referred to at the start of the show, Aussie.Luca77, he sees it a little different. He thinks that digital innovation could potentially, number one, improve accuracy and consistency of grading. Number two, it could save costs to the company, which would be passed on to the customers. And then number three, he said it would improve the speed of the turnaround time. And then he also says that it's this race for improvement and innovation which should help improve the experience and the cost. Now, as I close this thing out today, I, I don't want this to be all about digital grading. I mean, I know I kind of went that way towards the end because that's really where the comments went after looking at this shareholder letter. Uh, but there's so much more to it than that. And I've tried to present the facts as best as I can as outlined in this letter to shareholders. And I encourage you to read the PDF on your own. If you feel compelled to take action, sign up for updates on AltaFox's website. Shoot Connor an email. Be sure to let your voice be heard. And you've heard enough from me for now, so as always, you guys will find me throughout the week on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.